Good morning, brothers and sisters. Where you been? I know, I know. Everybody's saying, where? How was your vacation? So it was good. Yes, we, where'd you go? Um, got grandkids. Where do you think I went? And uh, those of you who uh, know I have, we have a new granddaughter and said, picture, picture, when I was gone. I heard about that. Um, Gammy has the picture, so uh, you go find her and she'll show you, okay? But I don't do that kind of stuff, so. <laughs> Except when I'm forced. <laughs> wow. All right, Kathy. Just a couple of items before we get into the Word of God together. Um, uh, so I was on vacation, so you missed me for a week, and you're going to miss me one more time. Don't play hooky. See how quiet it got? Because they do sometimes. But um, yes, and then I'll be on duty indefinitely. Um, you watch it there, buddy. I, I hear little comments. If you're up close, you hear all kinds of interesting things up here, just so you know. Anyway, I'm glad to see you all today on this beautiful day. Uh, there is prayer meeting tonight, if you can possibly make and haven't made other plans. Uh, and I know some probably have. And I also want to say I'm going to be preaching into a little bit uh, this morning uh, relevantly, I think, to the, the whole issue of us gathering as saints of God. And uh, summer's a crazy time, so you really can't judge much during summer, right? I understand it. Amen. Thank you, brother. And, uh, you know, people have family to see and all kinds of things to do. And so yeah, we just do what we can. We still proclaim the truth on Sunday and try to worship. Um, but I'm going to be leaning in a little bit on some other things. So, uh, so anyway, I just wanted you to be aware of what's happening. And um, today I'll be speaking about probably one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And uh, before we get into it, I want to um, orient those who may be visitors today or guests that uh, Mike Hopper just announced a minute ago that we've been reading the Daily Bible. And we're trying to do that as a congregation. If you're not, um, I don't want you to feel guilty until tonight. I want you to, then I want you to feel really guilty. I'm kidding. But if you've jumped on, I, I got to tell you, I've been so encouraged by the feedback I've gotten. People are actually, fasten your seatbelt, people are actually excited about reading the Word of God. I think that's cool. I really do. So, uh, Thank you, Lord. One of the best decisions we made to do together, I think, has been great. And uh, so, if you're a guest, you need to understand that we've worked our way through a portion. It's designed to read through for a whole year. In one whole year, you get through the whole Bible. It's been put in chronological order. The Psalms are placed where they fit in the story, things like that. It's a great version. And people have given me feedback that, man, it's really been easier to understand the story of God by reading it this way. So that's my PR. We have some that you can get your hands on if you want one. If you can't afford it, let us know. We want to bless you rather than ha have you struggle. And, uh, and we're doing it in two years instead of one. There's the relief part. And yet we're still behind, some of us, right? Let's write a blessing on you in the name of Jesus. All right. But I thought, good place to begin why is it so important to be grounded in the Word of God? I was thinking about um, that as I was preparing my message. And so just before we start, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. I want to pray like many of your servants in history, God. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us as a congregation of your people. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on those who are among us or around us in our daily life who do not know the saving grace of our Savior. Have mercy on them. And help us today, Holy Spirit, we pray in simple faith in that great name of Jesus, thou son of David, son of God, son of man, Savior of the world seated at the right hand of the majesty on high and returning king. We bless you today in the great name of Jesus. Amen. 
So my title today is going to be Rise and Fall, but I thought let's look at what's important in the scripture. Look what you've covered so far. How did we get that far? Uh-oh. You know what? Yeah, let me try it. Who's doing? Uh, oh, stop. <laughs> All right, we'll leave that there. We'll go from there. There's the Daily Bible, if you don't know what it is. That's, that's a, the new version, new cover, and all of that. Me now or you? Okay, thank you, Adrian. <laughs> Had interesting things with technology is a wonderful gift. Usually. So, I just went back. I'm sorry, that was me. Here we go. Creation and fall. Seminal information. Creation, fall. How God made man. I can't beat the drum loud enough how critical it is to understand that foundation for the world that we're living in right now. Creation, fall, flood, God's judgment. What does God think of sin? Read the story of Noah. There it is. What does God think of sin? Read the story of Jesus dying on the cross. It also expresses not only his view of sin, but his great love for mankind, both combined on the cross of Christ. Number two. Abraham comes on the scene, the father of the faith, the one who's a model for us, learning how to walk by faith and not by sight. Next comes Exodus, the Exodus. The law of God is, is communicated. This visual, if you will, from the Old Testament, real history actually happened. Jews still celebrate it to this day. It's entrenched in the world's story. It really is, whether you're a believer or not. Everybody knows that that's entrenched. The picture of redemption, God reaching into a slave culture and rescuing his people and taking them out of bondage and liberating them. There it is, redemption and law to understand the mind of God, his holiness. We just sang a song, holy, 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 didn't we? He is holy. And the Bible is very clear. You shall be holy because I'm holy. Do we get it right all the time? We already heard prayer about that, okay? We're going to try to instruct and unpack that whole, I think, misconception that, well, let me just shut up. I'll keep, no, I won't shut up. Let me keep going. Exodus, redemption. Next, they get into the promised land, right? The picture of our one-day glory, the absolute rest that God wants to bring us to which is heaven, but my brothers and sisters, God also has in mind that we experience a rest now, that we experience the peace of God that surpasses comprehension even in a broken world. So that's part of what he has in mind. The judges cycle. See, did it go? There we go. The judges cycle. Uh, we talked about that the last time I was here. When was the last time I was here? Two weeks ago. The dynamic, the spiritual dynamic, remember that? They rebel against... Anybody here? Okay. They rebel against God. He sends oppressors. They repent. They go, oh, whoa, man, I could have had a V8. And they straighten it out. And God delivers them and raises up judges to uh, lead them in holiness for all of his days. That dynamic, this judges cycle. And then you've been reading, and we didn't talk about this much, I don't think, the kingship, Right? Anybody remember how the kingship came to be? The people asked for it, right? Why? Anybody remember why? We want to be like everybody else. Brothers and sisters, tuck that away for a minute because it's going to figure very heavily in today's story. Okay? We want to be like everybody else. Was it a good idea? Was God sovereign over it? Yes. Was he going to bring good out of it? Oh, absolutely. It was through a king he was going to bring redemption. Anybody ever know that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, right? Okay. But it didn't start out very well. Samuel was the prophet. God was supposed to be king of his people, right? He was supposed to be the king. Samuel comes to God and says, they're begging me for a king. They want to look like everybody else. Everybody else has a cool king. They can, you know, they have big pomp and circumstance, you know, deals and, you know, capital events, you know, on the, on the capital steps and in front of the White House and all. That's what they do around those nations. We want that. 
And Samuel goes to God and says, oh, this is just depressing to me. I don't get it. And God says, anybody know what he said? Don't take it personally, Samuel. They haven't rejected you. They're rejecting me. So it wasn't a really great idea. But as works in the world, friends, this really handsome, tall guy, about six foot eight or something like that, named Saul, gets discovered. And he becomes the king. And he wins some battles and all's looking good. Does anybody know how it turned out for Saul? Not too well. Uh, Saul had this problem. He read the public publicity polls, you know, the Gallup polls, way too much. So this battle came. I'm telling you, they had all that back then. It just didn't look the same, but they had it. That's right. So they go out to, they go out to battle, a, a specific assignment. God says this people picked on, they were cruel, they were abusers of poor, innocent people, little old ladies and children and mothers with uh, nursing infants. They attacked them and wiped them out. I'm paying them back. You take them out completely. And instead, he listens to the Gallup polls. He listens to the guys in his army who say, look at all this cool stuff that we just got by, you know, killing these guys. Look at all this cool, um, what do you call it? Plunder. Plunder. That's the word. Thank you for helping me out. Uh, Plunder. We don't want to destroy that. We, let's bring it back. Oh, well, no, God said get rid of it. Well, I know. We'll bring it home and we'll use it to worship the Lord. All these cool cows and sheep and, and all this beautiful gold stuff. Let's, let's do this. Isn't that, that's a good spiritual idea, isn't it? Well, some of you know the answer already. I can probably close up and go. <laughs> you know what? You're right. It wasn't a good idea. So Samuel comes on the scene. Hey, I've done what you said. I wiped out the Amalekites. He says, what's this bleeding of sheep and lowing of cow? What's going on here? What's this noise? Oh, oh, well, we're just going with the Gallup poll. We're just doing what everybody thinks is cool to do. Does anybody remember what God says to him at that point through Samuel? Classic verse. You'll recognize it. Rise or fall. King Saul is in the process of falling. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. Insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. You might as well be going to a seance, you might as well be worshiping demons. That's what he's saying. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Ooh. Didn't work out too well, even though when they saw Saul originally, he was taller and more handsome than everybody else. He was a warrior. Big whoop. It didn't pay off in the long term. In fact, in some of the dialogue Samuel has with Saul, he says this. Your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. My title is Rise and Fall. And believe it or not, the story that we're going to go through today, everybody knows just about has heard of it. Even the world has heard of it. David against Goliath. It's famous, right? It's famous. And we tend to uh, immediately think, oh, I know where Pastor John's going. He's going to encourage us to face the ugly, scary Goliaths in our lives and by the power of God win. No, I would never encourage you to do that. (laughs) Yes, I would. Of course you should. And you have to answer that. You have to answer for yourself, what is the biggest, ugliest monster I'm facing? And you also need to ask yourself this question, because I'll be honest, I'm not sure many of us have the right answer to this. Is God able and willing to help me kill that sucker? Well, I hear a few amens. Yeah, we we know the Sunday school answer. You follow what I'm saying? We don't always have it. Here, do I really believe he's interested in me beating this thing? 
But Pastor John isn't going to talk about fighting your Goliath today. I want to look at a higher principle. When I thought about entering into this text, and this, I felt like the Spirit prompted me to speak into an issue that needs to be addressed for us congregationally about rising and falling, that leaders have an impact on helping things rise or helping things fall, depending on what happens. Saul is in the process of falling. He's making some bad decisions, right? And he's getting himself in trouble. And we know that God's selecting a man named David, a man after his own heart. And by the way, if I can park on this, we'll teach more on it on the subject of grace later in the year. But we love to say, well, look at David. You know, he blew it so big, and yet God still blessed him. But the reason God continued to bless him was not because he blew it, and God likes to show grace. The reason he blessed him is because David had in his heart something that got God's attention. And it's going to come out in this story today. There was a commitment on his part relating to his relationship to God. When, when God said, I'm done with Saul, so Samuel, you need to stop grieving and kind of get over it. And I'm going to ask you to go anoint someone else to take his place. He goes to the sons of Jesse. If anybody read through that, you'll know what happened, right? Samuel goes... He says, call your sons. We're going to have a worship session here. We're going to eat a feast unto the Lord. And I have something that I have to do. And so he calls his sons and he brings all his sons from the oldest to the almost the youngest. David's out taking care of the sheep. And Eliab, the, the, the first one, comes along and he's quite the guy. And uh, Samuel says, oh, here he is. Nope, not him. The next one. Abinadab, I think. Yeah. Uh, oh, maybe it's... Nope, not him. Shama. Nope, not him. Not him. Not him. Not him. What does God say to Samuel? I love this portion. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have, not, I have rejected him. God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? What's that? Miles and miles. Yes. God looks at the heart. Please do me a favor and don't automatically assume, oh, God knows my heart's okay. Put that, put that on your prayer assignment list. Is that really true? Let's see what happens as we work, work our way through this particular passage. I was pondering this whole issue of everything rising and falling depending on who is on the scene and how people are responding. I want to say I'm putting myself at risk and I'm a little nervous. I almost never get nervous here. I'm fibbing. When I fib, I get nervous. <laughs> I do get nervous sometimes. And the reason I do is I'm putting myself at risk because I'm going to say something that people are going to say, oh, yeah. Take the average church, if things are not going well, guess who gets blamed and guess who gets fired? You. Praise the Lord. What's that? But you can't fire the team. There you go. But it doesn't always fix it, right? They get another coach, same problem, keeps happening. So there is something to be said for great leaders. There's also something to be said for great followers. I'm going to speak into harmony a little bit because when I got here, I was told this, and it has proven to be true. We have lots of chiefs and not enough Indians. And some of our little ones who want to serve have been wounded because chiefs are bossing them around and treating them poorly. That's happened in the past. I don't know if it's happening now. I hope not, and I don't want it to happen. All I'm saying is those are things in our fabric that we have to make sure get fixed and get well. Everything rises and falls on leadership. So let me just show you. I got this little learning years ago, and it looks like this. First, nothing will happen without prayer. This is one of those things where you just have one of these epiphanies. It's kind of, you know, yeah, everybody knows that. Well, yeah, but do I really know it? And so one day as I was serving my church in uh, Binghamton, 
hit me. You know, nothing will happen. We got to we got to put that. Well, people can do lots of things without prayer, but the spirit of God isn't going to be at work without prayer. The church goes forward on her knees. Nothing will happen without prayer. That's number one. But something else, everything rises or falls on leaders. Everything rises or falls on leadership. And the last thing is, these two are related. <laughs> they go together. Oh, if we have leader, No, you've got to have both when you're dealing with the kingdom. If you're dealing with a business, you don't need the prayer thing. But if you're dealing with God's business, he's got to be involved in it. And we engage him in the process of praying. So, we're talking today about that great story, a story that everybody knows about, David versus Goliath. Back in the 1960s, this was Goliath on, on a movie. Great movie, Italian actor they had as Goliath, the big burly guy. You don't want to know something that was very frightening. This is what I mean about technology being a blessing and a curse. I go online trying to find pictures of this guy because I saw this movie. Orson Welles was the sullen King David. You saw, right? King David. I can't remember who David was. or king. He was King um, Saul. Yeah, Orson Welles was King Saul. Someone else was King David. And this guy was Goliath. And they had all these scenes of him. I go online. All the pictures are about Orson Welles and the other actors. And there's only this picture of Goliath. It doesn't show you how big he was. You know? It's like, what good is that? Sorry. Just aggravated me. You know what I mean? So... That gives you an idea. Maybe he was this grim-looking, you know. But the story goes. Let's set up the story if we could. Let's talk about David facing Goliath. Saul has things on the decline. David comes on the scene and something changes. But we have to look at the story first. The drama in the Valley of Elah. That's where everybody's gathering. You know, if you read it, all the Philistines come out every day. All the... The Hebrew troops come out every day in the Valley of Elon. They line up and they rattle their sabers and hoo hoo hoo. And it's all really looking pretty good and dramatic, like there's going to be a good war until Goliath shows up on the scene. Those of you who lived through the 50s with us, uh, the Cold War, remember the Cold War? There was this, this secret weapon called an atomic bomb. And nobody wanted to touch it. You know, we have it there. We rattle our sabers. Oh, oh, you do that one more time, we'll blow you up. Yeah, and we'll blow you up too. And nobody wants to touch it, right? Nobody wants to touch it. Goliath was their atomic bomb. As soon as he showed up, everyone, oh, okay, let's stop now. So a lot of saber rattling, a lot of drama. Anybody see the great spiritual movie, Sandlot? (laughs) They go up against that. Fence and the beast. Every time the beast shows up, all the kids are ah, screaming their heads off. That's kind of the description in the Bible. That is the description that when Goliath would come out, all the guys would scurry. You can visualize it. Can you make a great film? Ah, off they go. So Saul, as the soldier and leader, is kind of falling, and Israel is collapsing with him. Uh, This is the enemy oppressing the children of Israel. This should not be going on. So David comes on the scene. We'll just tell the story. David is sent by his father. He's got three older brothers. I already mentioned them. They're on the battle line. And Jesse, the father who's old and can hardly see at this point in his life, says to his son, listen, take all these goodies, bring a present down to their troop, you know, give the the commander a little extra, you know, what, pumpkin bread? I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it was... Maybe it was fruitcake. Maybe he didn't really like them, you know. Anyway, and uh, so they would do that. And uh, those of you who make fruitcake and love it, good. I actually like it. So anyway, <laughs> um, he goes and he brings these items to his brothers. He puts his, his uh, gear aside. And he comes right at the time that this drama is happening for the 40th day. And he hears Goliath. And when he hears it, David's reaction is, what the? You know, what, what, what? And he hears some men speaking about the rewards that the king will give to the person who takes out the atomic bomb. This probably about nine foot guy 
with armor suitable to him, 125 pounds. One of the advantages of the Daily Bible, it gave you those details in the bottom. It's about nine foot plus and wearing all this heavy armor. This is what the, the, the king will do. He'll give his daughter in marriage. Hmm, well, maybe that's good. Um, he'll give him riches. Sounds better. And who could pass this up? No taxes for the rest of your life. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm in. David says, I'm in. Good idea. And as he's asking questions, you know, one says that, and his brother Eliab, the oldest. Now, anybody know anything about large families and the youngest child and the oldest and some of the drama that goes on? So Eliab, he acts exactly like you would expect the older brother to act. You little stinker, what are you doing here? By the way, where's your chores? Where did you leave your chores at? What happened to all those sheep you were taking care of? What, what, who did you leave in charge? A little? I know how you are. You're such a cocky little, you know, those younger ones. They're always the spoiled ones, right? And there may have been a little bit. I know how conceited you are. I think that's what your version said. You know, I know how conceited you are. Why are you here? You're just here to goof off and watch the battle. And David's reaction, just like the youngest. You know, what I do now, for crying out loud? Didn't I just ask? Can't I even talk? You know, what kind of a world is this, you know? <laughs> I mean, is that real? That's what I love about the scripture. It's so real. It's what really happened. He says, oh, man. And then after he gets rebuked by his brother, of course, David goes with his tail. But no. David goes to another. Hey, did the king really say that? Would you come again? Tell me that again. What's he going to do? What will the king do for the person who takes this guy out? Um, can I ask a question? Why was his brother so nasty? He's convicted. Those soldiers know this is not a good thing. This Cold War deal is stupid. This is not going well. I'm ineffective, and guess what? You just embarrassed me. Because one of us should have gone out and taken care of this guy, and you're embarrassing me. Shut up, you little twit. That's what he's saying. I have to unpack that for us for just a minute. It's so real. It's so visual. Because David's brother... Eliab is a carnal believer. My wife said, you're going to have to explain what that means. And so I'm going to. Because Christians can be filled with the Spirit or they can be carnal. Carnality thinks the world's thoughts after it. Spiritual Christians think God's thoughts after them. The world thinks the Gallup poll dictates the will of God. The spiritual thought says that has nothing to do with reality. God sees the heart. Are we getting the idea? The carnal mind says, that guy spoke nasty to me. I'm going to shun him and stick my nose up and be rude to him for the rest of my life, or at least the rest of his life. And you think that's okay. That's carnality. Versus, I'm choosing to walk in the Spirit. Love each other, forgive one another, just the way Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? You can't even count how much he's forgiven you. And he calls me to forgive. If I've learned one lesson, and I have at least one brother in the room who can testify, I think I've learned to do that. Saves me a lot of ulcers. And makes me happier. And it would actually work for you, too. But anyway, so here we go. You got what I'm saying. That's carnality. His brother is carnal. David has something rise up in him. And here's what the scripture tells us. David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach? What was the word in your version? It was the disgrace. Who will take away the disgrace from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Boy, I'll tell you what, that's one of my favorite expressions, the living God. The God that we serve is the living God. Not the dead God in your theological textbook. You know, oh yeah, I know all about him, but he's not active. 
active in the world or in my life or real. He's the living God. He's a God who takes action, who does things. So, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, it's page 300 in, in uh, the black version in your, in your pocket there in the chair. Just if you want to follow along, make sure I'm not making any of this up. Who will take away the reproach from Israel? Who does this guy think he is? And who will take away the reproach? This guy, David, he's been out in the fields too long. I mean, he's been meditating on the law of God too long. Writing psalms and playing and worshiping the Lord out in the field too long. And he's concerned about the glory of God. We had a song this morning, O Church Arise. What I originally asked, but, and I, we probably don't know this one real well, so, okay, I'm getting the affirmation we don't. Rise up, O Church of God, which is really not the original. It was rise up, O men of God. Be done with lesser things. Allow me, if you would. And it changed probably because of the political climate. We had to include everybody, but it means men and women. Come on. But the exhortation is, rise up, O church of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O sons of God. The church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task. Rise up and make her great. Wow. Who will take away the reproach from the church? Who will take away the reproach from harmony? Who will help us? God will. Will we rise up to the glory of God, seeking his face? Carnal thinking sets in and down they go. The carnal thinking starts right out with the non-believer. I expect that. Goliath reflects carnal thinking. Wouldn't you expect that from Goliath? Goliath comes on the scene. What are you doing? What, what, what is this kid coming out? Does everybody know what happened? You know, David says, I'll take him out. Saul says, who are you and what are you doing? Uh, are you sure? And uh, we'll come back to Saul in a minute. But first, you expect it from Goliath. You expect Goliath to act like the world. And he looks out. He's like, you know, this MMA champion, you know. It's like, I'm going to kill these guys, you know. Get them in with me up to five seconds. Take them out. Knock them out. That's what he does about David. He says, oh, who is this little boy? Why are you sending me the poster child from Bethlehem, for crying out loud? You know, this little handsome little boy here. I'm going to cream him. This, this is easy. Short work, you know. Give me about 45 seconds, I'll tear his head off. That's how he's babbling. And, and then you have the nerve to come out here with sticks. You know, you don't even come out in armor. You come out with a stick. He also came out with another really cool secret weapon that Goliath didn't know much about, obviously. You expect that from him. He thinks like the world. He thinks it's going to be short work. Think about this experience. He's cursing at David. You know, the, the Philistine god was Dagon. So he was probably saying, Dagon it. You know, why are you coming out here? If you didn't get anything else, at least you got that out of this morning, you know. And he's swearing and he's just, just like, this is, this is almost an insult to send this guy out here. Come on, find me a real warrior. And he doesn't realize in a few moments he's going to be dead. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> he's going to be dead. It's great. I don't get excited about being dead that much, but on this case, I think it's great. And then you see the same thing. You see the same flesh thinking in Saul. You can't go up against this Philistine to fight with him. You're a youth, and he's been a warrior from his youth, right? You can't do it. You don't have the right training. You don't have the right credentials. You're not this. You're not that, whatever it is. But God sees what? The heart. Now, I don't want to be super spiritual here because some people think all that matters is, you know, I've got the Holy Spirit and I've got the heart and that's the end of it because God can use trained good hearts too. 
One thing you need to think about, I mentioned this earlier. He's been out in the fields watching his father's flocks, and he's been singing praises, and he's been uh, in, uh, writing psalms, and he's worshiping, and he's a prayer warrior. He's learned something about putting his trust in God. Jesse must have been a pretty good father. They got some things right. And even the older brothers who are a little offended right now, they're out there on the battle line. So he did some things right. And David's that person. But let me tell you what else. He has had 10 to 15 years, probably maybe more, of guarding the flock and slinging stones very precisely and effectively. 15 years of it. You get pretty darn good at it. So when David goes in, He's not going in like, gee, what am I going to do? He knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to use the gifts and abilities that God has graced him providentially with because he had this rotten, bottom-of-the-barrel job to do for his father watching a bunch of smelly sheep. That was his rough existence, his suffering in, in, in obscurity. Are you getting what I'm saying? Maybe not, right? We think, oh, this is all terrible. I've been through this. Terrible. This is, oh, where? Yeah. And by the way, it hits me once in a while. What have I accomplished, you idiot? You ever feel that way? And God's saying, you know what? I've been preparing you. I've been preparing this young man, picking off crows, picking off uh, coyotes and Eventually, a lion and a bear. You read about it, right? You're not able to go up against them. Oh, boy, are you wrong, Saul. Your thinking as the leader of the people of God is carnal. No wonder we're on the way down. But can God turn things around? Oh, you bet he can. So, his, spirit, his unspiritual thinking has to be challenged and corrected in that case. And... David's very blunt. He just comes back and says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. For those of you who don't know the story, he just simply explains that as he's been watching his father's flock, a bear one time and a lion one time came and grabbed one of the sheep and started to drag it off, and he whacked it. And when it tried to attack him, he not only rescued the flock, the, uh, the lamb, he killed the thing. He grabbed it by its beard. Now, it was pretty impressive. Grabs it, takes out a short dagger, and he takes him out. So this Philistine is going to be just like that. That's what he's saying. And Saul said, well, may the Lord be with you. <laughs> Have at it, sonny. <laughs> and Saul, in his carnality, still, he's not getting it. Here, let me put my armor on you. And he puts this big clunky beast on him, and here's David like, I can't do this. You're going to get me killed in this stuff. Keep your little program. Keep your little way of doing things. I'm going to do what God has shown me works. And so he does. I love that section. Sometimes we try to force people to work in areas we're not even gifted no wonder churches feel like some of the things that they do and the ministries that have to happen, and there are ministries that have to happen, are drudgery and suck life out of me. If I'm ministering in my gift area, it breathes life into me. There's something about it that increases my passion. It's, it's aligned with not only what I'm gifted to do, but that which I have some passion about. And to be forced into things out of pressure or guilt or my flesh or a sense of duty only rather than the joy of serving him and knowing I'm equipped to do this is a death sentence, really. It's what it feels like. So learning how to find that niche for us as believers is a critical thing. Relying on God, his sovereignty, how he's gifted us, our life experiences, the things that we can be passionate about. All of us have some role to play in that kingdom work. See where God's at work and try to join him. So the story went down that David lost the battle. Oh, no, no, that's not what happened. Just making sure you're with me. 
Here's David's pre-victory speech. You know, when we have a political campaign, you always have to have in case I lose speech, right? Right? You've got to have an in case I lose speech because you may lose. Here's David's pre-victory. He says to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. I come to you how? In the name of the Lord. That is in his authority because I'm in submission to him. I know his spirit is leading me. I know there's something going on here. There's something at stake. The disgrace of Israel has to be taken away, and you are the last person to be dishonoring the living God. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you made the mistake of taunting. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down, remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistine this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. That Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that this assembly, wait a minute, that this assembly who are quaking in their sandals on the way down because of their carnal thinking, that they may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Amen. Amen. That's an amen text, isn't it? Yes, Pastor John. (laughs) So David goes running at him. He gets just about close enough. This is about where I took out the bear. This is good. Takes out his little stone from the brook. Only a boy named David. Anybody remember that one? Yay! Bam! Hits its target. He goes, boom, down he goes. Did everybody think he was dead? He was not dead. David runs up, jumps on top of him, gets his sword out, kills him. Okay, now we need a trophy. Boy, those were the good old days. (laughs) Takes his head off, puts it on a post in Jerusalem so everybody can see it. The atom bomb is taken out, baby. And all the people of God know it. Why? Two reasons. A witness to the world and correction to God's peeps. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm correcting God's peeps. We have to start asking ourselves, oh, you know my heart's right. Maybe it isn't. Maybe there are things that you are holding on and you're pushing back on God. He doesn't own your life. And I've been talking about it. Somebody even encouraged me that hearing one of the podcasts when I mentioned the whole issue and it's, you know, Rainer talks about being a, a battleship versus a cruise ship, a country club versus a real ministry machine. Those are two different things. And it takes soldiers ready to fight. It takes it. And by the way, soldiering can be costly and painful and sacrificial. And we don't like sacrifice. I don't. But I know it has to happen in order for the glory of God to be manifested, for the world to see there's something different going on over there. These guys are serious about this stuff. And for the congregation to know that God doesn't rescue by gallop poles or clever machinery or any program. He doesn't need any program. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't care if it worked 30 years ago. It doesn't mean it's going to work now. Amen. Carnal worldly thinking is stupid and useless in the sight of God. So what does this mean? I've got a couple of minutes here. I will let you out before... I abuse you. If you have to run, it's okay. So I'm gonna, here's where I put myself at risk. I used to go to the leadership summit with Bill Hybels in Chicago, and one day he gave an illustration. I, I, I heard that, and I was like, Oof! The dagger went in and twisted. And it was a simple illustration of a, of a McDonald's that he used to... Oh, sorry, Larry, it was. It was a McDonald's. <laughs> that, This is not a commentary on McDonald's at all. It's just his story. Yeah, I had to save myself there. Have I made it clear that my job is on the line? Anyway, just kidding. He's laughing. (laughs) What? It's okay. It's okay. 
So he would go there during his lunch hour, get a, probably a Big Mac and study and whatever, maybe a salad. He's very cool. He's very, he's very chic. He probably got a salad. Anyway, he would do some reading there. And he said, on the back door of this place, it's up on, a la- on the north of Lake Michigan, and the door where the employees went in and out would just go, bam, bam, every time, bam, it would rattle everybody's teeth, you know. And he, he's like, after like several days of this kind of thing, he finally said to himself, there can't be a leader in here. He said, there may be a manager, but there's no leader because no leader in their right mind could stand this going on and on. Take it off its hinges if necessary. You know what I mean? Something. It convicted me. I've been the senior pastor here a year and a half, formally. And I decided the screen door has to stop banging. So there's some good things that are happening, uh, things that I'm really pleased about. By the way, if you've noticed around the, the parking lot, Glenn, way to go, man. If, if You need to make an appointment at my office just so you can park on the blacktop in front of my office because it looks gorgeous, you know. So thank you for that. Uh, so there are some things that we're trying to improve. That, of course, is surface. It's outward. But it does matter, just like our bathrooms are so gorgeous, it matters when you're trying to welcome people in from the world. It matters. They're not going to put up with crud and schlock in their little world, so why would they put up with it with us? Churches get stuck because we've done it so long a certain way, we forget. So I get all these leadership uh, things, and I got this uh, commentary on this book called uh, Leader Book Summary, Daring Greatly. I'm not sure it's a great book, but there was one line that just went, wow. We can't control the behavior of individuals. However, we can cultivate organizational cultures where behaviors are not tolerated. And people are held accountable for protecting what matters most. What matters most? Human beings. Human beings. Christ came to rescue with his blood human beings. And if I'm part of this assembly and the human beings that you don't even know, they're in the room right now, you haven't met them, you haven't dialogued, you don't act like they matter. And maybe there's some carnality in the way. I'm not saying we're all going to be bosom buddies with everybody, and that's impossible. But as a congregation, are we going to start caring for those who are outside rather than just for ourselves? That has to change. A good church is a healthy church, is a church with healthy Christians, not just a good pastor. I've said that before. And it attracts people. And so we're thankful for some of the changes that are attractive, but there are a few things we're going to have to deal with in the future, and I don't have the time to talk about all of them. One of them is, if you're going to do well in a local assembly, every time I talk about serving, people start coming up with new ideas. Let's fix what we already have. And one of those areas, people who come from outside want to make sure their kids are well taken care of from the nursery all the way up to high school. That's going to take some work. We need some real tweaking. And it can be done. Somebody's going to step up to lead. And when that happens, we need less chiefs, more Indians. I know that's a politically incorrect comment. It's not meant to be. Oh, well. (laughs) Oops. Can I meddle for one last minute? Are you all right with that? Well, okay. I have a great thing here from Willow on uh, the difference between volunteering and being called. Ooh, I'll save that for another time. (laughs) This one, though, I thought, I'm a little nervous. I don't want you to think this is about me. Like, I feel really bad. It's not about me, what I'm about to say. I've said this a number of times. I've talked about the fact that the fourth commandment, anybody remember what it was? Remember the Sabbath day? I I think we are sinning as a congregation in that regard. I've said that. It may make a difference, or with some, it's obviously not making any difference at all. So this is not about me saying I need to be stroked or anything like that. 
Although sometimes, if people are trying to discourage me, they're right on target. They're doing good. Seven ways church members should prepare for a sermon. Rainer put this one out. How should you prepare for a sermon? I can guarantee you most of us aren't doing what this says. You ready? What if church members began their own form of sermon prep? For countless decades, we've heard about the role of pastors in sermon prep, the number of hours they need to prepare, the priority of preparation, blah, 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 blah. But what if the church members prepared for each sermon they heard? What if they believed that their roles as recipients of the word also was crucially important? I could see an incredible church revitalization taking place. One, by the way, I want to tell you, I get encouraged when people say, I've listened to the podcast, I follow, at least it matters that your shepherd is being a teacher and you're listening. That matters. Pray for the sermon. Pray for the pastor who is preaching. Trust me, he needs it. Pray for yourself as you prepare to hear the sermon. Pray that you will not be distracted. Can I add, and that you're not distracting the people around you, too. Which happens. Pray that you will not be distracted. Pray for clarity of mind and an open heart to receive the message. Maybe read the biblical text before the sermon's preached. Of course, it would help if he told you. Um, Take notes if you can or or if you're inclined that way. I'm not a legalist about this. Seek an application to your life. That's probably the one that has me the most dumbfounded. And I've talked with other staff that it's like, did anybody hear what was just said? There's got to be some of us who need to make an application. I had to make some application in my life. I have a feeling there's some others as well. And maybe share something about that with the pastor. And I'm going to add one other, and that is come to hear it. Duh. That's right, brother. I'm so glad you figured that out. And on that note, I'm going to ask you to stand. (laughs) And I'm going to pray harder than I've ever prayed before for all of us. (laughs) Lord Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Everyone in this room who's been born from above has an ability to be used for you. If there's nothing for them to do here, then they're in the wrong church. If there is something for them to do, their gift fits, then they're in the right church. And Lord, you're going to have to help us to have the courage, in some cases courage, because maybe we've been burned in the past. But in other cases, willingness, sacrifice to step up and make this church great. Not for us, for your namesake. It's the armies of the living God that were taunted. Not our names, your name. And so in your name we pray, help us as your people. Encourage the hearts of your people today in the great name of Jesus. And where they have Goliaths, whisper in their ear, I want to help you kill this guy. In the name of Jesus I ask it, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.